Hi, and welcome to uh, another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. My guest today is Lewis Hull, a name that might not be too familiar to many, but the pies he has his finger in are well known to guys who like to listen to Gomology. Lewis, can you uh, tell me a bit about your background? Yeah, um, I suppose since the since the podcast is quite clothing orientated, my I, I entered the industry about twelve years ago now. Um, I used to run a hotel and restaurant, and wanted a change of career, so so we sold that business, and I fancied finding interesting products from around the world and bringing them to the uh, European market for to do wholesale. Um, so I started doing that of a Japanese denim brand called Studio D'Artisan, which um, some people may have heard of. Um, so I was doing the wholesale for that, and that then spawned Super Denim, which was aimed at selling these Japanese denim brands uh, direct to the consumer, as well as doing the wholesale business as well. Um, it soon became apparent that the online business was much better than the wholesale business so I focused my efforts on that and um, got more Japanese brands on board the, the Real McCoys being one of them um, and kind of grew Super Denim at a time when there was a lot of interest in in Japanese producers but not a lot of availability so quite a lot of the brands we'd, I was finding in the Japanese magazines and contacting them um, through a, a um well, initially through a waitress in a Japanese restaurant I used to go to. She used to translate the emails and make the phone calls and um, would, would, would kind of go from there. Um, so I was wondering how you were going to say you got in touch with them because I know that is notoriously tricky and it must have been even worse 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, it was a bit tricky because most of the brands had never really been contacted by you know anybody from outside of Japan either. So it, it was kind of new, new to everybody and... and some weren't particularly interested in expanding their horizons, but others were. So, um, say so I was doing a lot with Studio Artisan, and then um, went to see the Real McCoys and met the owner there, and started bringing his stuff in. Um, and then Super Denim kind of got a lot busy with the, with those brands, and we found complementary products like post overalls and engineer garments and such like. Um, and then. Super Denim grew and then the Real McCoys got very popular so we ended up opening a shop in London um, that, that was there for five years we just closed it last year um, and then Market which I think is one of the subjects of uh, today's discussion that that was always in the background really it, it started off um, kind of recognising that there was quite a lot of dead stock in the in in the industry and we we're working mainly with Nigel Caborn to clear his his kind of warehouse um of dead stock and samples um so that that was a site that was as and when opportunities came available we would we would kind of jump on them um so but but it meant that you know you might go a few months with fairly dormant without much happening and then you'd you'd find another brand that wanted to work with you so um and then that's now the main business and that's that's developed into sell, selling pre-owned stuff so all this fantastic made in USA made in Japan made in 
UK gear from and and, and Europe gear from the past few years people are giving it back to us now to resell for them and um that's where we are now really <laughs> so yeah sort of looking at looking at the arc of your career includes it's sort of kind of backwards isn't it because you've gone from importing stuff that was really rare and at the time almost unheard of mm. um to becoming really big at it and then almost sort of going back to the start again haven't you yeah yeah absolutely yeah i mean i've i've always i've always enjoyed the market concept um well i enjoyed the the, the dead stock side to it um, and we still do a bit of that um and then the the sea change and that to to pre-owned came we we had a long-term customer that would um he'd, he'd buy a lot of nigel Caborn gear for him for himself he ended up with a Hundreds and hundreds of pieces in his in his collection that is he was kind of scooping up from stores in the sale and it, I don't think he paid full price for much of it but um, I hope not yeah. yeah but he approached me and said oh actually I want to sell all of this now I'm not too bothered about it so so we set up a sale for him and and the, 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 there was loads of pieces and, and and it sold very quickly and a lot of that was pre-owned and I just had a bit of a light bulb moment that. Actually, what if we actually made the concept of, you know, selling people's pre-owned, you know, authentic, really good quality clothing? Um, so that's when we changed the focus to to then, and that that was about two years ago, um, mm. and it's it's become really really busy. Um, I have to I have to admit, I do remember the old uh, Cayborn Deadstock uh, sales, uh, Halcyon times, and um, you must have been immensely busy while they were going on. Oh, they, they were they were crazy, really. But we had a bit of a clunky website with a firewall on, so you had to put your email address on. And I think if more than a hundred people got on it, then it crashed. And there's about ten thousand trying to get on it all at the same time. And it um, it it was all a bit primitive, but it it seemed to work. And I don't know if that made people's hunger even greater because it kept crashing and they wanted to get I on think it. Even, probably did. Even harder, really. So, <laughs> um, we're on a, we're on a better platform now, but um. Yeah, no, they were they, yeah. they were they were they were fun times. Those they were they, they were good. good. It, I, I was I was always immensely surprised at how much dead stock uh, Nigel Cayborn had at the time. Oh, there was tons of it. I mean, every time we did it, would would think we'd cleared them out, and then you'd go back six months later, and there'd be twice as much again. So no, there was there was loads of it. Um, I think they've started doing a lot of the, the clearance now themselves through sample sales and and, and things. Um, I don't think yeah. there's been one for a while now, but uh, possibly, no. yeah. No, so who knows? There might be another opportunity in the future to, to do it for them. Um, but with market, I think you've hit the the sort of zeitgeist thing spot on now, um, what with um, people wanting to get into buying quality things. They want to buy secondhand if possible. And... As I see it, you do offer a, a unique service in that respect, in that you you take uh, clothes on consignment, mm. you photo them, describe them, and you take the whole process. So you are offering a quite different service than if you were, say, selling it on yourself on eBay or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
the, the, the whole consignment concept is it's, it's quite popular in Japan, and for for many years you'd see these these kind of consignment uh, select stores in in Japan, where a bit like us really, you know, they're selling great quality products, but all the items have been uh, donated by by um, the uh, by the public, you know, to, to to sell for them on their behalf. Um, and I always thought it was such a great concept. Um, and that kind of inspired the, I mean, apart from doing this sale for this guy with the K-Bon, also in the back of my mind that, you know, that there is a big business in Japan of this, this whole kind of consignment concept, really. So, um, so there's, there's, there's lots of things that have worked with it, really. You know, it, it is sustainable because it's reducing waste and, you know, rather than throwing something away, people are, are selling it. And, um, and, you know, I think that's, that's, that's a well, uh, well-deserved concept that's 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 gained popularity in in, in the past few years, um, and I don't think it's a, it's a good concept. I mean, products. You know, I've always dealt with very good products, and that's what I've kind of gravitated to, to, towards. Um, and it's quite nice when you find something that that has been worn in, you know, a pair of jeans or a, an M sixty-five jacket or something, and someone's put the hard work in breaking it in. And, and you know they've got lovely patinas and or a nice pair of trickers that are kind of the leather softened a bit and um, I think a lot of products do actually look better once they've been worn. So it's it's a bonus that when people want to sell them that you've got these great looking items for people to uh, pick up and at a cheaper price, but also worn in worn in already for them. That's a very good point that uh, they're, <laughs> they're both uh, at a reduced price and someone else has done the hard work of making them look good for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so. I suppose also at this level, I mean, we are talking really sort of quite expensive items. So there is a, a level of trust here, which uh, which you don't get through a lot of other channels. Um, I, I know from personal experience of selling K-Born on um, eBay, that selling expensive items to people you don't know are often the times when, oh, sorry, mate, the shipment never arrived. Mm. I want a refund, which sucks a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like to think that we we kind of add. Well, we kind of take that risk out of it, and you know, it, it's it's on our backs to to do a great job to make sure that it gets to people. And you know, we use, you know, we package it properly. We use couriers with tracking, and you know, it's 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 essentially selling us stuff through a, a normal uh, professional shop, really. So. Um, and a lot of people don't don't have the time to list things in eBay. I I find it a bit a bit boring and repetitive and doing things in eBay. And um, but we have, we have noticed that in the past we'd have guys sending maybe three, four, five items. But since the lockdown and everyone's at home more, you know, people are wanting to sell twenty, thirty, forty items at, at one time. So that's that's a bit of a ball ache for somebody to put it on online themselves. Um, plus the quality of photos you see on you see on eBay, for example, um, even the quality of photos that we see actually of people sending pictures of the stuff to us um, can be quite poor. So I think putting the extra effort in, you know, does does get them a better return and and a bit more confidence for the person that's buying it as well. You know, they can see they can see much clearer the the, the product that they are considering. That is a good point. Of course, also selling through you means 
you don't have to deal with all the idiots you will come into contact with on eBay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I mean, we, we, I have got in the back of my mind of trying to do something where people cannot actually upload themselves, uh, upload products themselves. Um, but we're just, just investigating that at the minute and whether, whether it goes contradicts to what we actually do, where we do offer a full kind of valet service, whether people would take it up, where they can actually add it themselves or not. But um, it, it's kind of a pipe dream whether whether people will do that or not. I suppose it's all a work in progress, really, isn't it? Because at the moment now, there's when you started out, there probably wasn't such a focus on, uh, on secondhand and sustainability and all that, but... As I mentioned, the time has very much come now, and mm. you're already there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, there's quite a few resellers. I mean, I mean, when we started it, you know, you see the the Vesta collectives and the 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 real real sites, um, which deal dealing deal uh, pre-owned stuff. But it tends to be more ladies' handbags and ladies' wear. I think ladies' wear is quite more advanced than men's wear in terms of the reselling market. Um, I think streetwear that's you know that's that's fairly catered for with Grayod and um other sites. But I think our niche of kind of authentic products that aren't being hyped up and such like, you know, we're, we're just selling uh we're we're selling genuine products really. Um so we so we have got we have got a niche that um I think people are are tapping into. And I think the attitude towards buying uh, buying pre-owned is, is changing as well, but only 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 because pe- more people are doing it really and finding it quite a, a nice process. I think some of it might be that there are a lot of the brands involved now, which have sort of their prices have gone up to such a level that really they are no longer even close to being affordable. Yeah, that's that's a big element as well. Because um, we we can sell a you know almost new pair of Aldens for I don't know. Two seven five, and you know, in a shop there might be twice that five fifty, six hundred pounds. Now, I think I think they've put the prices up a lot, but um, you know, so I think I think people would rather pay half the price, and if it's been worn about one five times, then it's 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 good value for money. So. Um, no, prices have definitely increased. I think that down to the currencies a lot, and you know, I think for retailers in the UK that are buying a lot of stuff from Japan and the states, and the, you know, the currencies pretty weak against those those currencies i think that's that's driven up a lot of the pricing um so it'd be interesting to see what happens you know this this kind of post-covid world where how, how people will shop because you know if, if there's less money around then um it, it i think uh, i think that's a good point because a there's less money around and also people are realizing that um if you don't actually leave the house much, <laughs> you don't have much of a chance to to wear all your authentic, um, cool heritage gear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I've, I've just launched another business recently called Blank Expression, where we we sell um, made in Canada, um, really great quality sweatshirts, hoodies, sweatpants, t-shirts, um, and that's that's kind of taken off in this <laughs> this area where everybody wants to wear a onesie when they're at home. So. Premium uh, loungewear. Yeah, premium loungewear, exactly. Um, so, no, I, I think was, it'll be interesting to see what happens this this coming season. You know, who, who's 
well, hopefully not too many people are going to disappear, but who's, who's left around and, and what, what products are actually going to be uh, taken into the shops really. Um, Cause I, I know from, you know, if I was still doing super denim and, and they were McCoy's, um, I'd be, I'd be a bit nervous about where I'm putting my money into the, you know, in, into products that I did order kind of la- when, well, Half a year ago. <laughs> yeah, half a year ago, yeah. So. Mm. Now, I do wonder about one thing, because mm. you do send out, and I use the word advisedly, rather porny emails and also Instagram enticements when you put new stuff out on market. Yeah. So you probably get an absolute rush every time of guys wanting to look at it. Yeah. But do you, do you find that your customers are sort of heritage wear geeks who are collecting stuff or – do you have a lot of people who just buy once, sort of more random customers? Um, it's a mix. We do have a lot of regular customers, even super regular customers that, you know, as soon as you add something to the site, they're, you know, they're shopping two or three times a week. Um, we also have the 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 uh, collectors, I guess. We, we sold yesterday a – when Nigel Caborn did his – I think it was his – Scott of the Antarctic collection. Um, it 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 came with a little book. If if you bought if you bought a product, then it got a little a little book That's with it. Right, yeah. Um, we sold one of those on online yesterday for like ninety five pounds. Somebody just just bought the book. Um, wow. So I don't know if it's somebody that said uh, collecting all the Scott collection and was missing that piece. So so we do we do we do, we do get the collectors as well, but um, but also the because I, I think what we sell is it's it's, it's we do sell stuff at a, a kind of a grade way. It would appeal to a collector, maybe vintage stuff or uh, kind of the, the McCoy's kind of um, hardcore people. But um, but then we'll sell stuff that's fairly fairly generic brands as well. So so it, it's a complete mixture, really. Um, but yeah, when we do send a newsletter out, we do get a, get a quite a busy response. Mm. You, you are quite narrow in the in the brands you cover, though, aren't you? Because you don't sort of take just anything; it has to be within the scope. Yeah, we've we've got to be selective. I think that's down to me as as well. When when I did the motor brand sites, you know, I, I was always quite specific of what I wanted, and you'd wander around the trade shows, and and you know, there'd only be a few things that really would, would, were of interest. Um, but also. From a kind of business point of view, we, we, we try to take stuff that's going to sell at a reasonable value. That's um, you know it's worth it from a commission point of view because you know there's quite a bit of investment in the uh, photography and investment in listing the products. So we've we've got also got to look at it. Um, you know, will this item sell and 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 will it be to the to the taste of our customers? Um, and is there is there is there enough margin left in it for us to you know to to run a successful business, so, um, but we do try to keep it, keep it to to. I mean, the brand list is fairly extensive, but the the theme, I guess, is 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 fairly obvious. Kind of denim and workwear, and kind of form away along the lines of Drake's, and um, yeah, if, if it's authentic products, then we 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 tend to sell it. Um, and I think keeping within those boundaries is a as a, is a good thing because it, it, it gives gives market a it it gives it a purpose really um if we went too too wide and too too generic i think 
um, it might just get the, the concept might get a bit lost really and I think mm. we'll get a bit swamped as well um, so yeah so how, how do you actually go about setting the prices um, my intuition Some sometimes you kind of work with, with the sellers as well you know they I might say a price and they might feel, feel it's worth a bit more so we're you know we're open to to negotiation on it um but yeah in intuition really um uh, uh looking at the at the price it was originally and then um working backwards from backwards from there um and the condition and and, and such like so um but also thinking you know try set a price that we, we think it will sell at it's, it's in nobody's interest for it to be too high and nobody buying it for the seller offer us so um so i think we're getting quite good at kind of nailing the the, the, the selling price for things really um which is good value for the sellers and 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 for us right now obviously since you're selling stuff that is i mean it can be 10 20 years old of any age do you sense any sort of trends within heritage workwear authentic styles um because part part of the sort of authentic heritage thing is, I mean, guys like me saying, "Oh, it's timeless. It's out of fashion. There's sort of it will be as good in five years as it was yesterday, and so forth." But I mean, there has to be some sort of fashion trends as well. I suppose, I suppose it's I suppose it's like a reverse trend in a way because we're kind of seeing what people want to get rid of, and then um, there's also people that are, that are buying it as well. I mean, what that. <laughs> It's a bit of a standing kind of joke in the office, but every time somebody wants to sell some shoes, it's a pair of uh, Yucatans. We get so many people wanting to sell. Probably 70% of our inquiries of people selling footwear is is a pair of Yucatans. I don't know what it is, but everybody wants to get rid of them for some reason. But equally, there's a lot of people that want to buy them. So we do get a lot in and we do sell a lot out quite quickly. Um, But... Yeah, I think with trends, it's quite hard to identify them really because we I'd tend to look at something and, um, you know, is is it good? Do I think it will sell? And then put it online and, and it sells. And it's so, so varied. And you've got no control really over what people are going to offer you. It's, um, I think the only trend is that a lot of the stuff's very classic, like the, the engineer garments, Bedford jackets or Baker jackets. We do get a lot of those through, but. Um, if you look at their ranges every season, they haven't really changed in the past 10 years anyway. So um, a lot of the stuff from the brands that people are interested in um, is oh, has, has, has been the same for the past five to 10 years anyway. Um, yeah. And you know, footwear, you know, so trickers, I think you've, you've bought some trickers and, you know, the, yeah, I have. They, they don't change much really, you know, the, 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 the stars are, are the same and, and sometimes the colours are different, so um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to identify trends, I guess, um, other than that people still want the the classic styles. Yeah, I suspect a lot of the the things you get in are things that were bought when they seem like a really good idea, but then <laughs> come come daylight, it's uh, hmm. And as I suspect, Yucatan's uh, sort of fall into that category where. I mean, there is a big sort of hype around them and everyone sort of likes the idea of them, but some of the more advanced styles might be a little hard to actually wear. I think so, yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know if people are moving towards more air refined look, but um, not everyone wants to sell the Yucatans. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you were very early in on the, the denim, the Japanese denim trend, sort of way before it became uh, big. Mm. Um, do you Where do you sense that the denim is today? Um, I'm not too sure because I don't follow it all that much and I don't wear jeans so much these days. <laughs> <laughs> so basically it's sort of out now. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I broke in a pair of raw, raw denims. But I, I, I kind of gravitated towards buying uh, vintage Levi's. Um, not... Not Levi's vintage clothing, but that actual Le- vintage Levi's, which I've always admired. And um, every time I went to Japan, I was going to a vintage shop called called Bear Bear Gin in in Tokyo, um, and uh, picking up a new pair every time I went. So, I'd, me personally, I've, I kind of shifted away from the the kind of hard wear them a hundred times. Um, denims and went for something that, that was worn in and a bit a bit lighter weight really but 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 really iconic like you know and the the, the one in vintage levi's 501s um mm-hmm. yeah i've not followed the denim the denim thing too too much i like i kind of moved away from it really. like i kind of lost interest in it a bit really and it was a bit strange because the super denim was called super denim but it it in the end, it didn't carry a huge amount of denim. When, I mean, right at the beginning, it was, you know, I was, I was really into it. And, you know, I was working with a lot of the, the best denim brands. And um, I was kind of, kind of, um, you know, reading all the magazines, the Japanese mags and, and stuff. And, you know, it, I, I was really interested in it. But um, in, in, in later years, I've, I kind of lost a bit of interest. And there's, there's quite a lot of people doing it now. You know, you've got sort of a stag in the UK and... Um, uh, rivet and hide and you know they're, they're all doing a great job and and i think they do live and breathe you know that that denim scene but it, it's something that that it doesn't really interest me anymore to be honest no, i think you're you're right in that i think we have reached a sort of uh, post denim stage now um where the sort of initial hardcore i, I hate to use the word denim heads mm. uh, were really keen on it and it's become now a sort of less exclusive uh, club and the sort of jeans you find a lot of now are also much less elusive and special than they used to be. Yeah, I think it was quite exciting back then, you know, there was all these all these exciting products coming from Japan and it, it, it still is exciting and I think that um, there is some great stuff. But um, as you say, it's a lot more widespread and easier to access. Um than, than it was before so it maybe lost its allure a bit but um yeah i think it's, it's still a good thing but it's just not not really for me at the moment when you were deeply into it did you follow the sort of rules for no washing and all that i tried to i was never that good at fading <laughs> but i had staff that were really really good you know the, the, the nephews to wash the jeans but i'd maybe get to about six wears and then i'd Stick them in the washing machine, but um, I had, yeah, I suppose I've broken a, a couple of good pairs, but um, I was never 
never that good a denim head really they're kind of getting whiskers on the back and super fit super fades and and, and such like mm-hmm. so you used to be a big seller of real mccoys what happened there um yeah I worked with them for 10 years we introduced the brand um kind of fresh out of japan to the west and you know grew, grew the business and had, had a good time with it um and then we had the shop um which it it was on a five-year lease and it was coming to the end of the five-year lease and the the landlord wanted to double the rent um i think we, we were already paying a, a bigger man and they wanted to double it um so i took the view that well i'm not going to renew the lease on that that shop um and then i it knew it was a pretty good pretty good location wasn't it it was a good location yeah um and you know it it was really nice to have the shop in london um i mean we had a really good good team there um so it was kind of the the lease was ending i wasn't quite sure you know if i had the funds to reinvest in an, in another stop because it, it you know it, it does take a lot of investment to to sign a new lease and you know pay your rent bonds and fit it out and all that goes with it. So the Real McCoys, they they said that they'd like to open their own shop. They've got more res- more resources than, than me, so um, so they kind of took over the business, and I I stepped away and to focus on market. Right. So I noticed there's a huge amount of Real McCoys coming up all the time on market. Yeah. Well, I suppose we've been lucky because um, the, the market customers there's often been the similar customers to that um to those buying the real mccoys so um we had one customer in december actually he'd he'd been our most frequent customer for the past few years and he had a life-changing moment i'm not quite sure what it was but um he said oh um lewis lewis do you mind if i just drive up and pop a few things in for market I said yeah, no, no, no problem. Um, it's driving up from Herefordshire to York, which is about two hundred miles, so a fair distance <laughs> to to come and drop five items of clothing in. Um, and he turned up, and um, he had fifteen bin bags full of eighty percent of every Royal McCoy's item he'd, he'd bought over the past few years. I said, "Can you sell it for me?" So it it was great for us because we we um, you know managed to sell it quite quickly and at a good price for him um, and good for him to get some money back. And then he came up a, a month later with the, the other 20% that he'd, he'd bought. Uh, <laughs> quite a lot of it was new with tags and, you know, he just wanted rid of it. I don't know. It just kind of fell out of love with the brand and wanted, wanted, wanted it gone. Um, so there's been, yeah, we had a, a hell of a lot there and, and just, yeah, I think, I think people know, you know, who, who, who I am and, you know, the, the other businesses and that if they do have a room or cars to sell, then, you know, it's, it's the best place to do it because um, there's an active customer wanting it um, on, on market. So, um, so it's, it's kind of good for everybody, really. I think it's even good. I mean, I'm not sure how they feel about it. I, I, I don't think they like market too much, but um, I think it's a good introduction for people to the brand. And then, you know, once I found that once people started buying it, they, um, they tend to, tend to keep buying it quite frequently so it's it's probably a good feeder for people to try some items at a lower price and then um as as a as an entry to the brand Hmm. now you obviously see uh, see a lot of um stuff people 
aren't so keen on any longer. So does that help you see what might be the coming trends uh, within heritage menswear, sort of the future styles or what what might be coming? Um, like coming from, from the brands, do you mean, in, in the future? Mm-hmm. I mean, just where things are going. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Since you're clearly seeing where they're not going by, by what that's, comes that's in, in bin bags, the, back to you. We see the flip, the flip side of it. Um, yeah. I don't know, because I, I see what people don't want, but I don't see what they're buying with the money that, that they've got from the stuff that, that they didn't want. Um, I think there has been a bit of a shift away from the traditional kind of heritage um, denim and boots towards maybe more more technical items. Um, yeah, maybe along the lines of Artrix Valence and maybe some of the sportswear brands there. Um, I don't know. It's 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 hard to say. As I say, we we see what people don't want, but but we don't see what they're buying because we're not. You know, I'm not I'm not at the trade shows anymore to see what the um, what the collection. Because the the young guys, they're all into sneakers and sort of tech streetwear type things, which I sort of imagine your customers are more middle aged guys. Tend to be, yeah, yeah. We we, we don't get many sneakers through really, and I don't mind that because I, I wouldn't know how to value it to be honest. Um, um so yeah, I think most quite a lot of people are selling the Nigel K Bon actually. You no, know, we do get a hell of a lot of K Bon through and a and a lot of McCoys, but I don't know if that's to reinvest in, in new pieces. Um or if people just want lighter weight products. I mean that you know, they're both quite heavy duty quite heavy duty brands and um and I mean me personally, I, I, I quite like light, light, lightweight items. You know, I, I quite like Valence jackets and stuff like that, where it, you know, it, it's quite technical and does, does a great job, and it's it's, it's lightweight. I I really struggle to wear like a heavy pea coat, for example. Um, whereas in the past, I probably would have worn something like that, but um, I tend to tend to like something a bit lighter weight and, and tech these days. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know. We'd say it's 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 a difficult question because we we just see what people are wanting to get rid of um but i mean i think the taste might even be similar i think that maybe reinvesting in new new products from the same brands but just just kind of in a cycle of selling and and buying um yeah i think that probably covers me pretty well i'd, I'd sell stuff to buy better stuff or stuff I've been really wanting. So it's the same amount of money that's uh, – it's the same money always in a circle, but um, it's just buying and selling stuff. Yeah. Stuff. It's really good that stuff holds its value as well, that, you know, that, that you can do that. And I think that's the whole shame of the whole fast fashion thing is that, you know, it, it's literally throwaway objects, which is, you know, it's not great for anybody. Um, I think that's important to think of uh, – you said that um, – Women's wear has a more established second-hand sales network. Um, you have more apps, more websites, and so forth for that. But I think a lot of that is the, the cheaper, cheaper stuff. I'm saying that with absolutely no idea if it's true or not, but it sounds wise. Yeah, I think there's two sides to it. I think you've got your uh, designer handbags and dresses and shoes and um, stuff. That's 
I think there's a burgeoning industry on that. And then I think there's the, well, I don't know, it's a six pound dress from Boohoo, would it, would it have any value to, to somebody to resell? I think, I think at that level, I, I think people just. I think with one pound postage that you could sell it for a pound or two. I mean, it's, it's going to go around and around until it's, <laughs> there's yeah, nothing left yeah. of it. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's pretty crazy what's going on in that whole sweatshop in, in Leicester thing. It's, um, I think there's going to be a massive backlash against th- those those kind of fast fashion throwaway um, fashion, fashion brands, really. Do you think it's going to be a backlash that lasts or is it just going to be the sort of gripe of the week? Because I'm worried that once the outrage has settled um, and, of course, the people who are most outraged aren't the people who would go to Primark or Boohoo to shop anyway. But once it's sort of passed, then it's going to go sort of slide back to normal. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, one good thing about it is that it's being made in the UK, and I think that's that's great. But there should be abiding by the rules and and you know and, and paying a fair price for the for the products and you know giving people a, a living and um, you know so if, if they can can help you know if that six pound dress was. Selling at twelve pounds, it's still a cheap item, really, for a, for a dress. And it, you know, if the factory can profit and the, the worker can, you know, live, have a reasonable standard of living as well, then um, and it's made in the UK and it, you know, it's not being shipped from the other side, side of the world. I think, I think if you can harmonise all those elements, I think it's it's a really positive thing. But um, it just seems crazy what's been what's been been going on. And I don't believe for a minute that the that the companies didn't. Didn't know what was what was going on. To be honest, not when you know how uh, how good their cost people are at uh, costing up the items they make. I mean, it's not as if they just order a dress from a factory in Leicester and they're surprised when it comes in as cheap as it does because they have known, of course, all the time exactly what that's going to cost and exactly what's gone into it. Mm. No, exactly. I, I, I think so. Um, so I'd 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 like to see more stuff made in the UK, you know, at all, all levels. You know, it seems our main industries are the, you know, um, made in the UK seems to be at the higher end of the market. But I think it'd be great to repatriate a lot from from the Chinas and the, you know, the Bangladeshis to, you know, to the UK and and, and within Europe as well. It's the world has become so so globalized over the past few decades. And, um. Hopefully, what's happened has made people stop and think that actually, do we need to get this this made at the other side of the world? You know, why why can't we just get it made made a bit closer? Um, I think uh, a lot of what's holding made in the UK back now is um, I, I see a lot of brands that make things in the UK who clearly charge huge markups, and I think that's because they feel they can because they're making a big deal about it being made in the UK. But you see other brands that are using the same factories, using the same, say, denim, who don't charge such huge markups. And they're showing how reasonable, how reasonably you can actually make stuff in the UK, which is, I think, causing a problem for those that are charging um, higher prices. Uh, I was looking this weekend at a pair of jeans made by a firm in London. Now, I'm not sure who actually assembles them for them, but they were £800 in a shop here. Now, I know 
using the same denim, another company who makes them in London charges 300 and another company again who has them made in Lancashire charges 150 <laughs> Yeah, I think... Um... I think it's a bit of an issue and there's, there's lots of issues in the clothing industry and, you know, the, the, the seasonal cycles and the kind of the lurch from new in stock to, to sale and new in stock to sale again. And, um, I think some consistency, I, I, I think if you, I think part of the problem, if, 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 if you're a brand, you seem to think, well, I'm getting it made and I, I need to be times, I need to be, I need to be charging five or six times or more what it's costing me to to make, which is, you know, making those silly silly prices like you just suggested. I think if the if they had a bit lower expectations of the of the margin that they actually need to charge, um, then it would actually make made in UK um stuff a bit, you know, more, more normal really, I think. Yeah, then um, you might get the volume up and hence sort of re establish an industry. Yeah, because I've I've worked with quite a few British suppliers over the years, and um, uh, uh, Lawrence Odie in in the Shetlands. I went to see him. We used to do some jumpers from them, and you, know, you can get a beautifully made Shetland jumper, um, handmade by one of the, one of the one of the ladies on the island in in a in a living in a living room for a really reasonable price, and you know you can make a visible margin and it, it comes in at maybe a hundred pounds for somebody. Um, but you'll see the same jumpers being sold for 250 or 300 pounds, for example, a, a bit like what you were just saying then. So I think, um, I think, I think it can get stuff made, made well, but just manage the margin expectations. And then, you know, I think if I've always thought Nigel Cabon should have, if it, priced himself 30% lower than he did it had a much stronger business than probably sold more of it um, and it wouldn't you know have ended up in the sales and people waiting for the sales if you know put it at a bit, a bit more reasonable price and you'd have probably sold much more at full price rather than this this lurch towards you know everybody waiting for the sale and stuff um, so yeah, I think I think made in UK there are opportunities to to get stuff made at, at a reasonable price, um, but you've just got to manage your margin expectations at the same time. Where do you see yourself, sort of business wise, in the clothing industry today? So you've got the fast fashion, you've got the, the sort of luxury outlets, uh, shops, you've got where, where is sort of what is, what is actually your niche? Yeah, I think. I think the, the the reselling market. It's I think I read that it's growing thirty times faster than than the you know people buying new stuff or something. So you know I, I do want to be successful and successful and I I find it hard to stand still with things. You know, once Stupid Enemy and the McCoys came to an end, you know I, I was kind of always looking ahead of you know what what's next, what's next really. Um, so I think market's got a it's got a niche within the the reselling market, and I think I think we're becoming globally established in a way because we, I mean, we've, a guy from Kazakhstan sent. We've got people all over the world selling, sending us thousands of pounds worth of gear. The guy in Mexico, the other week, sent about fifteen thousand pounds worth of, of gear to send. You know, there's a big, wow. big trust factor there, and we had people in Kazakhstan, Australia. 
Um, and it's, it's quite humbling in a way because you, you kind of think, well, send, sending all this really valuable stuff to this warehouse kind of north of York in the, in the countryside to, you know, to a team that you've only really spoken to via email. Um, but, you know, we must be doing something right because people trust us to, to take care of that and, you know, not not do a runner with the stuff and never hear from us again. Um, so, no, I think, I, think we're, I think we're forging quite a good niche within the, re, the resale market um, for authentic products. Um, and hopefully kind of forging a new market and changing people's perceptions and um, and hopefully we'll we'll profit from that from being a first a first mover sometimes that's my problem sometimes you can be a first mover too too often with you know with the japanese denim we were a first mover but but we're not necessarily you know never really became the biggest player in that market um so i'm always looking for opportunities and you know trying to do things to do things first or just just looking at how things can be done better and just outside the box a bit really um I've always been a, a reluctant shopkeeper in a way. I never, never aspired to, you know, here's my shop and I'll just get brands and keep selling it until I, until I retire. Really, I, I kind of like to look at things and see how, how we can do it better or do it in a new way. Or, um, and I think that's what, what Mark is doing at the moment. Do you consider what you're doing in a sort of sustainability perspective um i think it i think it is yeah um i mean a lot of people say that you know the fashion industry should uh, produce less and um i don't know if we're having a direct impact on producing less but i suppose there's maybe less demand for new stuff if people are people are buying buying pre-owned and um maybe less effect on the on the environment It's, it's very hard to measure really but um I think it must be having some effect. Um, with the the blank expression that I mentioned earlier, that's got a sustainable angle to it. We're, we're donating one percent of the turnover to, um, to to good causes. We're currently donating to Surface Against Sewage. But me and my business partner Drew, we're both we're both surfing love the ocean, and you know, hopefully that's making a an, an impact to cleaner seas and and also horse riding for horse riding for the disabled so um we're both interested in horses and drew, drew rides a lot and you know we're trying to get children with disabilities and, and adults to you know ride horses and and benefit their lives but that's you know it's a it's a small gesture but hope it hopefully it's making something but i suppose the biggest sustainability angle from the blank expression is that we uh, we, we sell blanks which are basically sweatshirts hoodies tees with no labels in no nothing so in a traditional way you would give those to a a t-shirt brand or any brand really they'd they'd put their prints on it and put their labels in it and maybe some embroidery and add the value and and sell it onto the consumer we're selling them at a minimal intervention stage of here's a great product but it's got nothing on it apart from it's just the product really um and we're we're hoping to wholesale those as well and, and try and shake up the, the blanks industry really. And um, I spoke to a few people in the music industry and there, there's a, 
there's an interest there to move away from, you know, as cheap as possible band t-shirts. We're actually offering something a bit more, um, oh, often a better quality product that's actually actually better made and, you know, it's not, not from a sweatshop, but, you know, being bought for a few pounds, but actually, um, I think that the, 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 the generation coming through now is much more, much, much more aware of that and, you know, potentially happy to invest a bit more in a, a band t-shirt or, or, um, mm. a, a, a brand with a, with a bit of a story behind it. Something that might last longer than the band itself. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, Final question, and this sort of links into it. What does sustainability mean to you? Um, do you mean on uh, uh, within the clothing industry or on a, on a well, within any any sort of concept really? Because I see sustainability used; it's banded around an awful lot and used in many different meanings. And you get the sort of impression that a lot of the people who use it might not actually really have an idea of what it means. So from your perspective, where, where do you see it? I think it's, I think there's a lot of angles to it, but I suppose the way I interpret it, it's, it's kind of producing things in a way that the resource won't be depleted and, and is well, there's a continuous supply of of that resource because of the way you you're working with the, the products and the materials and the and the labour. It's not it's not kind of taking everything from it, then uh, discarding it. You know, we've, we've, we don't need you anymore. We've you know we've we've taken all of the the raw resource from the planet, and okay, what's next? We'll move on to something else it's it's doing something in a way where it's managing the resource but um i suppose fish is a good example it's it's not it's not taking all the fish out of the sea it's taking what you need and then leaving some there for what you need tomorrow type thing i like to think of it as an apple tree in the garden hmm. where you can harvest the apples but it will keep keep going um I think a lot of people in the industry tend to think of it as um, as long as we make something good, expensive, uh, then it must be sustainable per some odd definition. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's um, I think it's about taking what you need in a genuine way. I think that filters down to uh, producing, you know, just the amount of clothes you need, and if you want. If if there's a pre-owned market as well, then you know we don't need to pre- produce as many new things because there's a there's a pool of clothing for everybody to wear, and you know we don't need to keep filling it up. So you know there's, there's well, that's the thing. I read somewhere I read somewhere a week or two ago that um, if we stopped making clothes today, there was uh, there would be still decades worth of clothes to wear. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think that sums it up. up quite well really that it's there's there's plenty plenty to go at and a lot of nice things out there that you know still got lives in them really um so there's no need to i mean when you look i suppose you look at some of the brands that we sell you know like i was referencing engineered engineered garments before that you know that a lot of their styles haven't haven't changed over the years and you know, they still make some of the same styles so 
um, there's a lot of us stars in the market, you know, swimming around of people, a lot of people, a lot of people don't wear them anymore. So, you know, make them available for somebody else to buy and then they don't need to buy a, buy a fresh one if, if, if they don't have to. And then, um, and, you know, hopefully it saves some more resources for, for when it is needed, when it is needed in the future. I just saw a huge problem with the, with the fact that you're selling all these things because it would mean that the, the brands you are selling are going to need some massive great clearance sales in the near future. <laughs> so, so you'll be taking care of that as well. Hopefully, yeah. Um, but equally for, for us to flourish, then, you know, we do, you do need a, a healthy new market as well, you know, so, so the, you know, so the, the supply does become continuous, but um, I think it's striking a balance between, between it all really. Yeah, I can see that. We do need uh, uh, some amount of new items also coming into it, even though we are being sort of more circular with, uh, with the existing. And yeah. this is also a case that, I mean, you're not going to toss your K-born garments into the recycling bin and send them to landfill or fibre reclama- reclamation anyway. So no, it, 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 it kind of creates a quandary for people because it's like, well, I don't want to throw it away because it's worth too much, but at the same time, I don't wear it. So I think you end up with a hoarding mentality where, well, I'll keep hold of it. And, you know, maybe when I lose a bit of weight next year, I'll, I'll, I'll wear it then. Or, um, and then I think something happens, then people are actually, you know, maybe discover what we do. And say, actually, no, I can get a good price for it and I don't have much hassle selling it. Um, so... I think sustainability goes to the consumers as well. I think in terms of, I think I think sustaining your money as well, because we get so much new with tag stuff for you know people who never want it, but they've you've bought it, expensive stuff, and you just think you know would would you buy a car and not use it and you know allow it to depreciate that much or um, so I think there's a I think I think there might be a a shift to us sustaining your, what's in your bank as well going, going forward as well, especially with what's going on at the minute. Um, and so, you know, not just not just consuming for the sake of it, you know, do I actually need to get that item? And, and uh, will I use it? And um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, as, I'm as guilty as the next person. I've, I've often bought things and never never ended up wearing it. And um, But I've, I've trimmed my wardrobe down massively. I've, I've sold loads, loads of it on, on market. And now I just have... Kind of things that I'm comfortable wearing all the time, and um, I'll get a few pieces as, as and when it's. Um, there's often bits come in that I, I think, actually, I'll get that for myself from from market. You know, some great stuff that does come through the door, and thankfully, we'll get the first dibs on on it. But, um, <laughs> I was about to ask whether you can get high <laughs> on your own supply. Yeah, I do yeah, yeah. So especially you know stuff that's worn in nicely and. Um, yeah, you do need to get a bit of first first dibs, but um, yeah, no, I, I've I've trimmed down a lot of my wardrobe a lot, and just just things you don't need. I think I think a lot of people are looking at the, the belongings at the minute, and you know, just actually do do I need it, and can I turn it into some some money to put back in the bank? I suppose. Okay, Lewis, this was great. Thanks a lot, and um, pleasure. Have a good day. Yeah, thank you very much.
And that was all for this episode. Thanks a lot for listening in and thanks to Louise Hull from Market.com for guesting. Uh, you might be interested in checking out my blog at welldressedad.com or my Instagram as welldressedad. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, welldressedad at gmail.com. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. If you um, like what you hear, please leave a review or a five-star rating on the podcast app. Uh, next week, I have uh, John Fowler coming by. John is a uh, dedicated garmsman and collector of uh, weird military um, vintage clothing, etc. We have a great chat for you. So, uh, see you next week. Uh, thanks a lot. Thanks.